0: Well, good morning. So thank you all for bringing the church into this uh, sanctuary. Thanks for allowing me the privilege of saying that for the last uh, 15 or so years. Uh, for those that are gathered for Crosspoint at Home, thanks for inviting the church uh, there. Uh, for those that uh, shared some of their stories, thank you all for for sharing. Um, can we get a hallelujah for Thomas? There we go. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, we're going to get into the text in just a moment, but let's, let we'll have uh, let, we'll continue uh, in the spirit of celebration here for a moment. Uh, I want to um, invite, if you're somebody that's connected with Crosspoint sometime in the last five years, all right, so if you've connected sometime in the last five years, and those of you that are like trying to figure out, start doing the math of when you connected because your group's coming next, all right? But if you've connected sometime in the last five years, can you stand for a moment? So, all right, let's hear for these folks. Yes. Amazing. Awesome. All right, y'all, y'all can grab a seat. So thank you guys for being part of things. Uh, we'll go in kind of the next group of five. If you've been part of CrossFit for more than five years, kind of between like five years and 10 years, if you kind of part of things for that long, can you go ahead and stand up? So let's hear for these folks. Yes. Awesome. All right, y'all can grab a seat. All right. Now, if you have been here more than 10 years, all right, go ahead and stand up. So. There we go. All right. Now, y'all need to stay standing a second. Th- this will be like to see like uh I mean Heather probably wins uh, but anyway, uh uh but it uh will at least uh see where, where this goes. All right. So, if you've been here um for more than 11 years, stay standing. If it was under 11, you can take a seat. We love you. There's no shame in taking a seat. Oh. <laughs> You're on the video. You get an extra year. Yes. Yeah, so, there you go. <laughs> All right. If you've been here for 12 or more, stay standing. All right. If you've been here for 13 or more, stay standing. 13 or more. Amazing. If you've been here for 14 years or more, stay standing. All right. Look at this. Nice. All right. If you've been here for 15 years, look at that. All right. So, all right. And if you've like now, even just going back, yes. Yeah, so, listen i can't say that to my mother but you know you're just shouting across the room i don't know but um so we've got some family in the mix very thankful as well so um and yeah it's so basically as i look around this room all right and if you were part of like let's go back to like fall of 2008 where you're part of like a core group if you went to a service at the crosby wellness center that has since been torn down stay standing if not all right so look at this all right we have, let's hear it for these folks. All right. Thank you all so much. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, when as Kellen retold the story this morning, there was this word of like, there's this church and it's meeting at this guy's house. And he was like, I'm pretty sure that's a cult. All right. Um, uh, but y'all get the matching tennis shoes in a minute. Anyway. Um, but thank you all for being part of it. Um, a quick, I, I asked, cause I can't do math. I asked Siri on the drive over this morning. I was like, what is 15 times 52 just to get it, you know, 780, I believe. Like, so some of you, you know, um, and I'm pretty sure like, uh, be- between Jessica serving with, uh, on staff and Kellen basically playing drums, but I think they've been here about 775 of those times. All right. Uh, folks that have just been here through it all, but thank you all so much, um, allowing me the privilege of just like growing, giving space and grace to even grow as a, as a pastor. I mean, on average, we're, we're probably like 650 sermons many of you all have had to, to listen to of, of me. That's a lot of me, all right? Um, so I apologize uh, for that. But uh, friends, it is an absolute joy to be part of what God is doing. Thank you for being part of it, whether you've been here from the very beginning or this is your first Sunday showing up or anywhere in between. Our goal today, even with some of these little things that, that are different, is to just continue to do what we've attempted to do from the beginning, is to point one another to Jesus, to be these conduits, these channels of his grace and mercy. Um, and that's not this one-way thing that that comes from, like, the leaders on stage out there, but no, no, like, we all receive in that, and you have encouraged me and my family, strengthened us, ministered uh, to us. Um, It has just been, it's an incredible thing. I would be lying if I said there weren't lows. We all know there's highs and lows, but God has been so so faithful um and he has worked in and through you also thank you for being uh, the church and so uh th- this morning we're going to wrap up this series called seeking mishpat um and kind of get back to even just what are some of the the roots of like what God has called us to as a church and mishpat is a hebrew word for justice to bring a right ordering to see this flourishing in our communities and Crosspoint is not the answer to all that, but we pray that God might use us to be part of God's redemptive work. And so with that, I wanna invite you, all right, to take out a Bible. If you brought one, you can turn there, use one of the ones in the pews uh, this morning, or you can scan the, the QR code or go to this thisiscp.church and click sermon notes. We're gonna read Daniel chapter one this morning, all right? Um, and so as you're turning there, if you would, if you're able, please stand as I read this. Uh, you're allowed to stand no matter how long you've been part of the church. All right, so Daniel chapter one, and I'll explain in a in a few minutes as to why this text on this particular day. But for now, I just wanna go ahead and read this account. Perhaps you grew up in the church and you know all about Daniel and you're thinking Lion's Den and felt board, like all that stuff, right? This is the story of like how he found himself and his friends in this place called Babylon, in this place of exile, in this place where if you think it's difficult to be the people of God, to be the church now, like to be in Babylon, like that's no joke. And so how is God gonna work in and through his people? How do his plans continue to go forward? So Daniel chapter one, hear God's word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine and, they were, and they were, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables, which might be the worst verse in the Bible. But anyway, okay. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So friends, this morning, this idea of Mishpat, to bring a right ordering, ordering. I want to look at this theme as we've been looking at different aspects of bringing mishpat as it pertains to the sanctity of life and to diversity and racial reconciliation, this call to, to justice. This morning, I want to put before you a more broad idea of just justice, this mishpat and missional living. And what I mean by that is a group of people that would become, that would see themselves as missionaries. Like we tend to think of mission as going across, you know, like going to another country and it includes that, but God is calling us as well to live as missionaries right here, right now, regardless of your age, if you're a follower of Jesus and whatever place he has put you to live with this missional, like fervor and this urgency and by that, as we begin to do that, groups get formed, ministries get formed, churches get planted, and we wanna see that continue. Now, I thought it would be helpful, part of the, this past week, even like seeing the pictures and uh, some of the stuff coming across social media and stuff. Uh, I am a nostalgic person, all right? Um, and so it's just disrupted my whole week. I'm just like, oh, look at that, Like, right? Like just having these, these moments. Um, and it, it got me thinking and reminiscing. And part of the reason I wanted to, to look at Daniel chapter one this morning uh, is because God used it, I think, in one of the most like redemptively disruptive ways that only He can do uh, in my life some years ago. I was trying to think about even like what led to this idea of church planting and all of that. Like, there's no one more surprised th- than I am. Like, I this was nope, this wasn't the plan, right? I wasn't thinking about this. I was working in youth ministry. But I had no desire ever to be a lead pastor. Didn't know what church planting entailed. Thought at some point I'll probably like, you know, I didn't see like a lot of 60 and 70 year old youth workers. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll do some college ministry or something at some point. And it reminds me, right, of this verse in Proverbs. I think we can all attest to how this has played out in our own lives, right? The heart of man plans his way. We've got ideas, we've got dreams, we've got hopes, aspirations, we've got five-year plans. It might be in a document, it might be whiteboarded, it might just be bouncing around in our brain, whatever it is. These are good things, right? Nothing wrong with it. But it tells us the Lord establishes or the Lord directs our steps. And one of the things, one of the reasons Daniel 1 is important, I mean, it's important, it's in the Bible and it tells the whole story, but one of the ways God used it in my life was, I think it was 2001, I'm um, working in youth ministry. Uh, Heather and I attend this National Youth Workers Conference that's in uh, Atlanta. And there's literally like thousands of uh, youth ministers gathered in this, this big convention center and there's worship and teaching and all that. But then there are these like breakout sessions. And I signed this up for one, not just a regular seminar. It was a super seminar. That's how committed we were, right? Um, and uh, this was a two-hour meeting, and it was about 100 people crammed into this little breakout room. And the guy who was speaking, I had no idea who he was. Um, I just remember his name is Chris, and he was from Texas. And Chris got up to lead this lecture that was something along the lines of this. I don't remember the exact title, but it was basically talking about how to do effective ministry in our increasingly like postmodern culture. Postmodern, that word that I did, like it was very popular at the time. Everybody seemed to be talking about it. We all got tattoos with it, whatever. Like, um, so there was this this thing. And I remember signing up and being like, okay, well let's, <clears throat> I wanna hear what this is all about, but come to find out he wasn't interested in youth ministry. He didn't do youth ministry. He'd actually was in the early stages of planting a church, which again, that I was like, whatever, man, you do your you do your thing. But as he began to talk and in particular, as he began to open up Daniel chapter one, God began to like unlock something. Like I remember vividly like sitting there and like just furiously taking notes. I can't even read my own handwriting, but I'm still like writing it all down and just finding my like energy level and interest growing the longer this guy talked. And this is over like a two hour lecture. And one of the key things he did is he walked through Daniel one. Now listen. Thinking back on it now, I know there were things um, that I re- remember that like are a little cringeworthy, some things that I'd be like, ooh, I don't know if I would agree with that. He was maybe in his late 20s, early 30s. I was early to mid-20s, somewhere in that. I'm not doing the math correctly, but let's say around 25, he was probably saying more things about what he was against and what annoyed him with the church, and didn't always have the most like great vision of where he was going. He knew what he didn't want. He had like kind of all this this angst and frustration, and he was speaking my love language at the time, right? I was just like, yeah, like, and I remember like really resonating. And amidst all of that, because it's way easier to deconstruct and constructs, there was still something that was like, oh, but like, I didn't know what was going on, other than to know like there was something that was stirring. I remember Heather and I getting done with that seminar. We just couldn't stop talking about it. We met up with the rest of our our team and they were like, yeah, our thing was okay. And we're just like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? And like began unpacking it. And I don't know if they shared in our enthusiasm or not, but like it stuck with me. And so it had me this past week, even just thinking about as we think and we celebrate what God has done in planting a church, what's our hope going forward? Like the goal was never just like get a new work started. We can celebrate that, but we wanna continue to see like more disciples made, more missionaries sent out, that we would all embrace that idea that we are sent to be a missional people individually and collectively. And Daniel 1, I think gives us a great picture of that. So this morning for just a few minutes that I have, I wanna look at Daniel's faithfulness I want to look at the fruitfulness of Daniel and how it's all rooted in the favor of God. But first, a couple of things, this calling to faithfulness, So I mentioned a moment ago, right? Like, think about this situation. Him and his friends, they are young men. They might be like teenagers, maybe early 20s, and they are ripped away from their homeland. Everything that they've ever known, everything that was familiar to them, every custom tradition, homemade meal, just gone. And they are brought in to a, they're taken captive. They're brought to Babylon, this place of, rampant wickedness. There's a reason why the Bible in the book of Revelation keeps speaking about Babylon because it represented everything that's evil. This was not a God honoring place. So here's these young men, how are they going to, to live? They are moving into, what's helpful to think about it this way, of this very contested space. Will they live faithfully for their God or will they succumb to what is a three-year program? Do you remember hearing that? For three years, they're gonna be trained in all the ways of the Babylonians. It's the Babylonian school of discipleship. That's not the thing that a good Jewish boy would be like, oh, sign up for that. Look, it looks interesting, right? You do not want the masterclass and the Babylonian discipleship ways. And yet that's what they're going to be given. And so right away, we're getting some clues into the context. It tells us the vessels of the house of God were taken and they're put in the, the supposed God of the Babylonians. This was a way for them to assert their power, their dominance, to say, this isn't just a physical battle, this is a spiritual battle. And our God rules and reigns. If your God was so great, he would have protected you. And so we're gonna have your religious items in our temple, not because we're gonna join in and worship and like praise all the gods, no, no. It's there to remind you that your God is no real God at all. At least that's what they believe. But God is telling a different story. And one of the keys is there at the beginning of verse two, and God gave. God is sovereign. God is working his plan. God has never stopped with his vision of how he's going to work in and through his people to bring about redemption. Tremper Longman in his commentary on this says it this way, as we think about now, because it's easy to think for a moment, right? Like, oh, it's so much worse now. Is there real opposition to the church? Absolutely. Is there hostility toward it? Yes, there is. But is there opportunity in that? Oh my goodness. Yes. And so it would have been hard for Daniel and his friends most certainly to be in Babylon. And there are parallels to our cultural moment, but the calling is not to be discouraged by that, but rather to see how might God be at work. But we should be honest about like, what we're up against. So Longman says this, Christians today should understand that we too live in a toxic culture that is a culture that stands at odds with our faith the god of modern culture is not the god of the bible but is ultimately the self this strange god demands worship that creates values different than those of christianity since the individuals at the heart the worship of secular culture culture personal gratification and self-realization are prized over any sense of the other person, any sense of community, whether that community is the family, the church, the city, the nation, the global community. It's like, it's all about you. That is what we're discipled in. Let us not be confused that every person we ever encounter, every person here, every person out there, every person is being discipled by someone or something or some worldview. And it's either we're being discipled by Jesus and his gospel or we're being discipled like Daniel and his friends were seemingly trying, they were trying to disciple them in the Babylonian ways. We'll see how that that goes in a moment, right? Because it tells us the king assigned them a daily portion of food, and they were to be educated for three years. They were to be immersed in Babylonian culture. It tells us as well that their names were changed. Like up here, these are the understanding of like what their names meant, why they were given, like we may just like a name, that's why we name our kids something, right? But in that cultural context, to be named something, it was loaded with significance. And all of them had names that pointed to the reality of the one true God, God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And then what happens? Those names are ripped away from them. They're given new names. So every time their name was called, every meal that was served, the three years that they were immersed in this education was an attempt to obliterate their identity that was so wrapped up in being the people of God and to make them into Babylonian disciples. That's what was taking place. And if we are honest, every moment of every day, there's a discipleship strategy that's being used by the enemy to get us not to follow Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life, but to follow our own way, our own agenda in the name of liberation and freedom, but it further enslaves us. And so it's important for us as we consider being a missional people what God is calling us to, we have to remember our name. My friends, like, do you, do you know your name? Do you know your name that's written in the book of life? Do you know that you're a son or daughter of the King? Do you know that you have a new identity in Christ? Do you know that you have nothing to prove to anybody because Jesus has already done it? Do you know that you have his righteousness if you're in Christ? And to the extent that you and I rest in that truth, that we really know our name and remember our name, we will be able to live individually, but more importantly, collectively as the church, as the people of God, into our sort of Babylonian culture, into the places that God has sent us. And when we forget our name, I think we drift towards one of two kind of extremes. On the one hand, if we forget our name, we become so consumed with just, we don't wanna stand out. We just wanna fit in. We don't want anybody to think badly of us. So we might, even in the name of just like some general respect or tolerance, right? What's not always bad, but like we might just sort of acquiesce to everything in the culture. And the name for that is we become syncretistic. And it's rooted in a fear that's like, you know what, I don't wanna miss out. I don't wanna stand out. I'm just going to become like the world. Or we go to the other extreme. And that extreme is, there's this big, bad world out there. And I got to separate from it. Forgetting that, yeah, there is difficulty and there's challenge and there's evil and there's brokenness and there's sin and there's darkness. But friends, it's not just out there. Like it's in. Here, it's in my heart, it's in your heart, it's in this room. And so to just huddle together with people like, all right, we're just gonna be together, we're gonna separate. How in the world can we live missionally? How in the world can we see new ministry started? How in the world can we see churches planted? How can we see a faithfulness and a fruitfulness? I would put before you like the tension of mishpat, of a right ordering is represented here of like, we're gonna feel this pull at times, right? We're gonna feel the pull of the world and so, There'll be times where like we're gonna give into and we we gotta repent of that, but there's gonna be times as well where we retreat too much and we've gotta repent of that. What we're after is not fear-based living, but faithfulness and fruitfulness. Jesus gets at this as he's praying. Think about this. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, it's referred to as the high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prays not only for his disciples, but friends, he prayed for you. He prayed for me. praying for this church and this work. And here's what he says. I do not ask, Father, he says this, that you take them out of the world, so don't separate them, but that you keep them from the evil one because there's very real evil. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world, Jesus says. So sanctify them, purify them, like make them more holy, mold them into my image in the, what? In the truth, be discipled by the truth of the gospel. Your word is truth as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus was sent by God, the father. And if we are in him, we are sent by him, not to be just like the world in the syncretistic way, but also not to separate ourselves. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to be the city set upon a hill. We are called to be missionaries, wherever God has put you in your neighborhood in your school, in your workplace, on the sports team you play at, whatever it is. Are we thinking that way? And so this gets us into this question of like, then what does this faithfulness look like? And maybe you're thinking like, okay, do I have to do the same? You know, like there's this weird Daniel diet thing. Do I, is that what I'm, I'm called to? We're called to pay attention to the heart of it, not the particulars of that. Says Daniel resolved not to defile himself. So what's the issue here? There's been a lot of, ink spilled on this because at one level, all right, it may seem, oh, yeah, he can't eat the king's food because it it would violate his his kosher diet. Except wine is never, is never told according to his dietary rules to avoid that. So he's saying the food and the drink. Then there are others that might think, well, actually what's going on is the food would always, this feast would be offered to the Babylonian gods first, and then the king would partake and everybody else. And so he's not going to eat food that's offered, but likely, the vegetables would have been offered as well, so that doesn't seem to hold up. what What I actually think is going on here, scholars point out is this, like he's wrestling with this question, what might pull your heart? what's what might pull Daniel's heart away from God? Because the thing he's most consumed with is a is a love, a devotion to God. And this is in the realm of speculation, but it's it's possible that he's simply thinking, listen, I don't want to grow so accustomed to enjoying these kind of creature comforts and forget my calling to be lulled in with this sort of comfort idol. I'll just have this food, I'll enjoy it, And right? I mean, like, it would be very easy to give into that. He's far away from home. It'd be very easy to justify, like, I've had a rough day, I should have this food, right? Like, it would have been very easy to do that. But Daniel's like, I don't want my heart drawn away from God. He's concerned about faithfulness. I think he's also concerned with making sure as this test gets set up, that the glory goes to his God. It's a way of subtly and maybe not so subtly proving, Nebuchadnezzar, you're not in control. My God rules and reigns. Brian Chappell talked about it this way. Think about this. If Daniel would risk position Because it's rough to be in Babylon, but to have this position is about as good a gig as you could possibly get. If Daniel would risk position, privilege, and life itself for a pure relationship with his God, then that must be quite a relationship, and that must be quite a God. His stand for his God amid earthly deprivations is a witness to the incomparable blessings of the grace of his God. By his willingness to risk everything for his God, Daniel shows how precious is a relationship with God. And so the question becomes, do I value God that way? Is that like, that's what's gonna propel faithfulness. Like where I'm so consumed with like, oh my goodness, despite all that might be happening around me, like I value the relationship I have, this love relationship with God who loves me, pursues me. And so there's a picture of faithfulness, but there's also friends, there's this fruitfulness. And I think this can get a little tricky because when we look at this, even talking about like steps towards faithfulness, if you're like, well, I'm going to give you seven steps for us to be more faithful and fruitful and all this, like, no, that's not what we're going with. But the calling isn't to be passive. The calling is to engage and yet to remember, like the Apostle Paul's words. Look at this language that he he writes to a church in Corinth and they were arguing about like, who's the greatest apostle, right? Right. I don't know, they didn't have anything better to do to be like, who's the best preacher? Whatever, all right. So, um, But here's what Paul writes to them. He says, all right, here's how I engage. He's like, I planted. God used him to plant this church in Corinth. And then Apollos, this other teacher, came along and he watered. But lest we be confused, he's like, the fruitfulness, the growth, guess where that came from? It's not from Paul, and it's not from Apollos. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. So we have to keep that in mind, this calling to faithfulness and this prayer for fruitfulness. At the end of the day, we are a people, I think this should focus on, are we being faithful to what God has called us to? We cannot control the fruitfulness. And yet Paul did actually plant and Apollos did actually water. And Daniel did actually learn some things. And God did work in and through that. So how should we be thinking about that? And verse 15 says, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So there's this faithfulness, but there's also like, oh, being faithful to their God. Like it's resulting in some noticeable things happening here. It's getting the attention of the leadership there. And then when we jump to verse 17, it tells us something even more fascinating. As for these four youths, notice the language. God gave. Who's sovereign? Who's doing this? Who's really in control? Our God. God gave them learning and skill in some literature, in the stuff that was only honorable to the one God. No, no. In all literature, in all wisdom. And additionally, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, which if you kept reading the book of Daniel, you'll see that. And then there's a final exam. Imagine, the most powerful man in the world at that time is Nebuchadnezzar. And these young men, Daniel included, are gonna stand before him after a three-year Babylonian discipleship school. They're gonna be brought before him for this exam. And he's gonna ask them anything and everything that will pop into his mind. And here's how it tells us they did on that exam. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, not equal to, not just a little bit better, 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Friends, I find that very fascinating that Daniel and his friends, they didn't have, right? They, they had to, in this case, they were like forced into the school. But what's so fascinating is they were able to remain faithful And God brought about a lot of fruitfulness how he used them. And I think part of the way God worked through them is this understanding in this knowledge that he was giving to them, even in things that ultimately, right? Like no good Jewish boy is gonna grow up being like, I wanna learn Babylonian enchantment and, and magic, right? Like that's not what we should be focusing on, obviously. But what I think God is forming here are effective missionaries Who have the ability to actually understand the culture that they're placed in? We can become very good if we're not careful as the church of answering questions that nobody else is asking. In the name of not becoming like the world, because we're called to be in the world but not of it, we can sometimes retreat too much that we don't know the core concerns and issues that our our neighbors, our friends, our extended family might, might be facing. We can be so disconnected. From what's going on in the broader culture, or we can go the other extreme that we're so like the culture that we don't stand out at all. Or it's salt that's lost its saltiness. Or again, it's this call to this tension. I think we see that here in the book of Daniel, and I think it raises something. Perhaps maybe you were, maybe you've heard this before. Meaning like it was, it was kind of taught to you. It was maybe used by a parent or a teacher. Maybe you've used it yourself, and it's this phrase, right? You take garbage in, garbage comes out. And I think there's some nuance that's needed to this conversation because are there certain things that we should avoid like thinking on and dwelling on and watch? Yeah, I do actually think that, right? But in every case is just taking in something going to, to result. Like Jesus speaks in Mark chapter seven about, it's not what goes in that defiles you, but what comes out. How do we make sense of the fact that for three years Daniel and his friends were immersed in the Babylonian culture, all of the these things, and yet they didn't become like it? So at one level, Philippians four eight is very true, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, like all the things that are not the Babylonian culture, right? If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we are called to fill our minds with that. And yet at the same time, I believe that what God is also doing with these young men is saying, I'm gonna equip you, I'm gonna train you. And there's gonna be some things that you're gonna learn and they're they're not the ways that you're called to live. But I'm going to be setting you apart as missionaries in this context. Maybe a way to think about this, this framework is there are certain things that we are called outright to reject there's certain things that we can receive and there's certain things that we get invited in to be about this work of redemption. Are there things that are just blatantly evil and should be called such without equivocation in this culture? Yeah, that are, yes, and we would reject those things. Are there things that we can receive that are just part of God's common grace? I've had ACL reconstructive surgery on both of my knees. Um, shouldn't try and play basketball at my age, right? Uh, and Neither time, I had the same doctor both times, you know, as he was walking me through what he's going to do in the surgery. I actually have no idea if he is a follower of Christ or not, right? It wasn't of utmost concern to me as far as would he be able to do this surgery or not. I want to know about his credentials. I want to know where he went. How many of the, he's, oh, this is your first time doing this? No, thank you, right? Like, I want to talk about those those things. Part of God's common grace is just the expertise of people, right? That's something I can receive. But then there are things, my friend, where we see, oh, how might God want to use us to bring about redemption? In those places where we see, oh, there's so much beauty, but there's also some brokenness. And so you think about the cultural domains, right? You think about in, the, in business, you think about in the art, you think about education, you think like you fill in the blank, right? Are there things there that are like, wow, that's beautiful. But you also see a shadow side. You also see a darkness to it. You also see the brokenness. And the calling of the Christian is not to become and to embrace the brokenness, but it's also not to retreat from it, but rather to say, equipped by the gospel, Lord, would you use us as agents of redemption and reconciliation? I believe that's what he's doing here. And so it raises this question, will we be, by the power of the gospel, a faithful and fruitful presence? When I first heard Daniel 1 spoken of, sitting in this conference, sitting in this seminar on ministry in a postmodern context, If I'm being completely honest and looking back on that, I think what energized me was not the call about faithfulness. It was the call about fruitfulness. It was like, whoa, I want to be used like Daniel and these guys, right? I want to know and I want to study the culture and I want to understand this. I want to be a good and effective missionary. All these things, and those are not bad things. But over time, and I think 15 years of church planting, all right, um, in the best way possible, kind of beats that out of you in a good way to say, "Hey." God's going to control the fruits. Will you be faithful? It's what God had to do in the way he used another prophet at the same time, talking to a group of people exiled in Babylon. It's the prophet Jeremiah. It leads to one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, right? But in Jeremiah chapter 29, God speaks to a group who are living in Babylon, same overlap here with Daniel. And there's a false prophet that's like, guys, just hang tight. We're getting out of here very, very soon. So. Don't even unpack your bags. Like I know we're in exile now, but we're gonna get we're gonna get out of here. God's gonna take us home. And here's what Jeremiah speaks to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's the one who sent them. Build houses. Does this sound like people they're getting out anytime soon? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. We're talking about generations now. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse seven, but seek the welfare. It's the Hebrew word shalom, the flourishing, the wholeness, the delight of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. It is so easy for us to look out, isn't it? And be like, there's a world that's hostile to the church. And it would be so easy to just gather together and think, well, let's just celebrate how God has protected us. And there is some of that to celebrate. But he wants to do more. Do you and I pray and seek the welfare of the cities, the communities, the places where God has put us? Do we see how long this might be? So on the one hand, 15 years can feel like a long time, but man, I really do hope that we're just beginning. I hope there's generations. I hope this church continues to point people to Jesus long after I'm dead and gone, right? Like we want to see this continue. And so I love what the prophet Jeremiah says as we get to one of the more famous verses. He says, guys, it's not like any day now. He says this, but thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that's, he's talking about a long time there. Then I'll visit you and I'll fulfill the, you, my promise and bring you back to the place. And it's in that context that God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Part of their future and their hope is bound up and right then seek the welfare of where God has put you. Do you realize you're not where you are? Like by accident, it's part of God's design. I'll close with this, all right? I told you throughout this, we keep seeing it over and over again. The Lord gave, God gave. This is all rooted. Talking about pointing our community to Jesus. It's about his grace. It's about his mercy. We cannot have a faithful witness. Can't hope for a fruitful witness apart from the grace and mercy of God. And so if we think It's amazing, as we see in this chapter, God gave, God gave. Yes, he gave learning to Daniel and his friends. Yes, he gave all kinds of grace and mercy, but we know more than Daniel. We know about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We know the way, the truth, and the life. We know the word that took on flesh and blood. Friends, we know that the greatest giving that the Lord has ever given is not just giving learning to Daniel to make him into this effective missionary. We know where this story is ultimately pointing that it gets to the most famous verse probably that we've ever seen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, we get to tell people about that Jesus. We get to tell people about that gift. Jesus entered in the world not to condemn the world, not to separate us out from the the world or to become like the world, but to send us into the world closely tethered to him, his gospel, his grace, so that we might see more people have their lives redeemed and transformed that we might call people to experience what by God's grace we are experiencing. Like I'm praying that that's what our next 15 year run is more and more characterized by. We cannot control the fruitfulness. I pray God brings fruit, right? But at the end of the day we're called, will we be faithful? A faithful people rooted in the gospel of Jesus, who then can take this posture of praying to the Lord of the harvest, as it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's got it. There's no lack of fruit. There's no lack of harvest. But he says there is a lack of laborers. And friends, what a gift. He's been like, hey, come on, let's do this. We get to do this together. What a privilege it is to be part of how God is at work in and through us for his glory, for the good of our neighbors and for our deep gladness and joy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, for this reminder of your kindness, of how you give, of how you equip, how that the time and place that we live, space we inhabit, none of it is by accident. So we thank you for your faithfulness toward us. Thank you that even when we are faithless, Jesus, you can, are completely faithful because you cannot deny yourself your very character. So God, we thank you for being our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And we thank you that even in a few moments here, we get to partake in this meal that reminds us of this new covenant that you've established in your blood, Jesus, through your sacrifice, through your death and your resurrection. And so God, would you continue to work in and through us as this local body, God, we are so thankful. We are humbled by the ways that you've been at work. And God, we pray for a continued faithful witness that we would have. And God, if you should see fit, would you continue to bring a fruitfulness? Would you use us as your laborers to be sent out into the harvest, to bring a right ordering, to see redemption, to see Mishpat happen? So God, we ask that you would work for your glory and our joy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.